Hey everyone, this is Pedro Chung, and welcome to Bible Sumo Weekly, a Bible study podcast for everyday Christians. We are continuing our series in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. Episode title, God Remembers Joseph in Prison. In our last study in Genesis chapter 39, you recall that we saw how God blessed Joseph, making him successful in Potiphar's house. And even though he successfully resisted the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife, his wife falsely accused Joseph, and that led to Joseph being thrown into prison. In today's study, in Genesis chapter 40, we see how God remembers Joseph, even in prison. Genesis chapter 40 can be divided into five scenes. The first scene, we see Pharaoh's servants being sent to prison. The second scene, Pharaoh's servants are each given divine dreams. Third, the cupbearer's dream is interpreted. Fourth, the baker's dream is interpreted. And finally, in the final scene, Pharaoh's servants' dreams are fulfilled. So let's first look at the first scene, Pharaoh's servants sent to prison, and we'll see this in verses 1 through 4. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. The opening phrase, some time after this, in verse 1, suggests that some time had elapsed between the events of chapter 39 and this chapter, chapter 40. You'll recall that Joseph was about 17 years old in Genesis 31. We also know that in the next chapter, Joseph was 30 years old. Two years probably elapsed between the end of chapter 40 and chapter 41. So Joseph here is likely about 28 years old, or 11 years into his time here in Egypt. Genesis 39 never mentioned what happened to Potiphar's wife after these false charges and allegations. And likewise, at the beginning of chapter 40, no details are given for the crimes of Pharaoh's two servants. We just know that the chief cupbearer and the chief baker had somehow offended Pharaoh. Now, referring to Pharaoh as the king of Egypt, it emphasizes the inferior position of these servants. These servants were likely Pharaoh's closest advisors. And by highlighting Pharaoh's anger, the text suggests that Pharaoh's decision to imprison these servants was rather quick. Both were thrown into prison for suspicious actions that angered Pharaoh, and they were detained while the matter was being investigated. And it's in God's providence that these servants, these officials, were placed in the same prison as Joseph. And you'll remember from chapter 39 that the oversight of this prison had now been delegated to Joseph. Now, some may wonder, who is this captain of the guard? Is it Potiphar? Remember we had studied in Genesis chapter 37 that captain of the guard was a unique title. And it was attributed to Potiphar twice, once in Genesis chapter 37, verse 36, 
and a second time in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Some commentators believe that it is Potiphar himself, and this prison, which served as Pharaoh's holding place for his personal criminals, was actually an extension of Potiphar's house. Potiphar was actually protecting Joseph and still extending Joseph favor by giving him full power and authority over this prison. But other commentators think that it's another captain of the guard and not Potiphar himself. I don't think we can be dogmatic in answering this question, but I believe that it is another captain of the guard. It is not Potiphar. At the end of verse 4, we see the sentence, they continued for some time in custody. And this sentence implies that there is a considerable period of time that elapses before verse 5. Well, let's now look at the second scene, Pharaoh's servants given divine dreams. And we see the second scene in verses 5 to 8. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were in trouble. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So we see here in this second scene that on the same night, both the cupbearer and the baker had dreams. Now, the Egyptians believed that their gods used dreams to alert them of impending situations. And the cupbearer and the baker soon realized that their two dreams were given on the same night. And two dreams with similarities occurring in the same night was significant. And because the two of them did not understand their dream's meaning, both were troubled. And since they were confined in prison, they couldn't just go out and find an interpreter. And so Joseph notices these two men appearing dejected. And so Joseph asked, and the two men explained that during the night both had dreamed, but there was no one who can help interpret these dreams. So Joseph responds and assures these two high court officials that the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Now, the two men probably inferred that Joseph possessed divine powers for interpreting dreams. But notice Joseph's humility. He actually didn't say that he had the gift of interpretation. He just said that interpretations belong to Yahweh God. And when a person acknowledges that his gifts and talents are given by God, he is more prepared to use these gifts for God's glory. So Joseph encourages Pharaoh's two servants to tell him their dreams. Let's now look at the third scene, the cupbearer's dream interpreted by Joseph. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, 
This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So at the start of this third scene, the chief cupbearer described his dream about a vine with three branches. And the vine blossomed and produced grapes. And he took some of these grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup into his hand. Now, if we look closely, we see that this first dream involves several units of three. The vine has three branches. Three verbs are used to describe the growth of the vine and its branches. That is, budded, shot forth, and ripened. Three times in verse 11, the cupbearer mentions Pharaoh. And in the same verse, the cupbearer mentions three times Pharaoh's cup. In that same verse in verse 11, the cupbearer cites himself three times. I took, I pressed, I placed. I think it's actually interesting to note that Joseph's interpretation of dreams is the first supernatural power given by God to a human being in the book of Genesis. We should also note that God stops appearing directly to the patriarchs. In other words, we saw that God appeared directly to Abraham beginning in Genesis chapter 12. He appears directly to Isaac, and he again appears directly to Jacob several times. But never does God appear directly again to anyone until Moses in the book of Exodus. So Joseph now explains the dream, and he explains that the three branches stood for three days. And after three days have passed, Pharaoh would restore him to his former high position in Pharaoh's service. The Hebrew actually says literally, in three days, Pharaoh will lift your head. We'll soon see that this sentence is repeated three times in this chapter, in the cupbearer's dream, in the baker's dream, and in the dream's fulfillment. Now, notice what Joseph says next. Joseph had been patiently waiting for at least 10 years to be freed from slavery and from his anguished state. He had been praying to God for 10 years. And now, for the first time, we see Joseph asking for help. Joseph asked the cupbearer, to remember him after his restoration. He is basically asking the cupbearer for a favor to help him get out of prison. Joseph describes how he had been forcibly stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And Joseph explained that he had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve being put in this pit. Joseph used the same Hebrew word bore, which translated here in the ESV as pit both in the cistern in Canaan and now in Pharaoh's prison here in Egypt. This word pit underscores Joseph's anguish, and so he hopes that the cupbearer would show him kindness by speaking to Pharaoh 
to get him out of this prison. Joseph emphasizes the fact that he was innocent. He was falsely accused. Now, this brings up an interesting question. How should a Christian respond to false accusation? Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Charity and Its Fruits, he writes that Christians should patiently endure the humiliation of false accusations. Jonathan Edwards writes, We should be willing to suffer much in our interests and feelings for the sake of peace, rather than do what we have opportunity and perhaps the right to do in defending ourselves. We see the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was constantly slandered by false charges, but Jesus did not try to be vindicated of these false charges. Jesus was willing to have a bad reputation. But in contrast, most of us, we want to guard our reputation. We want people to like us, to applaud us. And so there are other Christians that will differ from Jonathan Edwards. And they will say that Christians should not be silent, but plead innocence, lest by an undefended slander, Christians and the church, their reputation will be compromised and injured. And to be silent means to consent to these false accusations. Some will cite the Apostle Paul, who reluctantly responds to his critics and false teachers in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to 13. I think we have to find a balance between self-justification from every single complaint and yet still speaking the truth. But here, as a descriptive narrative, we see Joseph pleading his case of innocence to the cupbearer. Well, let's now look at the fourth scene, the baker's dream interpreted by Joseph, beginning in verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. So at the start of this fourth scene, encouraged after hearing the favorable interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, the chief baker shares his dream to Joseph, which also has these units of three. He sees on his head three baskets of bread, and in the top one were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But birds were eating these baked goods, and you see the contrast that the cupbearer served Pharaoh, while the baker is serving birds. So Joseph interprets his dream, and the three baskets also stood for three days, and in three days Pharaoh was also going to lift up his head. And remember the same phrase was used to describe the cupbearer's dream back in verse 13. The baker must have been elated, thrilled when he first heard this. But in an ironic twist, Joseph uses the same phrase to mean that Pharaoh would have the baker hanged on a tree. And instead of being buried, his body would be eaten by birds. 
It's important to understand that Egyptians typically mummified those who died, revering the dead's body. So having one's dead flesh mutilated and eaten by birds was sacrilege. One way to differentiate the true prophet from the false prophet is this. The false prophet always gives the interpretation that people want to hear, while the true prophet gives the true interpretation even if it was bad news. Well, now let's look at the final scene. Pharaoh's servants' dreams fulfilled. Verses 20 to 23. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So in this final scene, we see that three days later, Pharaoh throws a great birthday party. And this is the only birthday party that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Pharaoh lifted up the head. Remember that phrase, it's used this third time. So Pharaoh lifted up the head, both the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, bringing them out from prison. He restores the cupbearer to his original position but he hanged the chief baker. And so God's interpretation explained by Joseph proved true. But notice what happens at the end here. The cupbearer failed to remember Joseph. Joseph remained in prison. It's been 11 years since Joseph had been sold to slavery in Egypt. Joseph must have been so eager the first few days after the cupbearer left prison. I'm sure each morning he would have woken up thinking, could this be the day I am finally freed? But days turned into weeks and weeks into months and for two more years, nothing. How could the cupbearer not remember Joseph? In ancient times, someone who correctly and positively interpreted a dream was actually believed to have helped make the positive dream come true. And so the cupbearer had even more reason to be grateful to Joseph. He simply could not have forgotten Joseph. Verse 23 sounds redundant. Let me read it to you again. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The text's redundancy here emphasizes the cupbearer's deliberate ingratitude. I think a little additional background information will help us understand what's going on here. The cupbearer did more than just simply open bottles and taste the wine, if this description is to be taken literally. The Hebrew term that's translated cupbearer generally refers to officials that in many cases became confidants and favorites of the king, and these officials wielded significant political influence. Nehemiah occupied a very similar position in the Persian court in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. Perhaps a modern-day United States equivalent is someone serving in the president's cabinet, 
such as the Secretary of Agriculture. So when the cupbearer was thrown in prison, it was likely for some crime or poor decision made as Pharaoh's cabinet member. So the cupbearer may have feared that his restoration to his original position was at best tenuous, and so to risk losing his position again by suggesting that another person in Pharaoh's prison was falsely accused, that required too much personal risk. And so the cupbearer probably wanted to wait until his position was better secured. And as time passed, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. But in contrast, remember what the thief on the cross asked Jesus? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus remembered the thief, and the thief was saved. And so, while the cupbearer had forgotten Joseph, God remembered Joseph and remained faithful to Joseph in three ways. First, God gave Joseph his presence. He remained with Joseph. Second, God gave him hesed, that is, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. And third, God gave him hen, favor and grace. God's faithfulness remained with Joseph. It followed Joseph from his childhood, his time as slave in Potiphar's house, his time in prison, and as we will soon see, his ascendancy to prominence. Thanks for listening to Bible Sumo Weekly. For more information about me or this podcast, visit our website at biblesumo.com. In our next episode, we will continue our series of the life of Jacob, and we will continue the narrative and come to one of the most pivotal chapters in this narrative, Genesis chapter 41. Follow our podcast and listen to our Bible studies each and every week here at Bible Sumo Weekly.